Welcome to TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council here in Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio, Trek's Marketing and Communications Coordinator, and today we're continuing our Transportation Revolution series by returning to the North Central Texas Council of Governments for a chat with Kevin Felt, NCT COGS Program Manager for Transportation Planning. We talked about what makes Dallas an ideal test city for emerging transportation technologies, how integrating tech like Hyperloop and Vertiport could impact the city's ongoing transportation initiatives, and whether Dallas could be growing too fast for its own good. I'd like to remind you once again to subscribe to TrekCast on Apple Podcasts and rate us and write us a review. If you're not an iPhone user, you can check out this and all previous episodes of TrekCast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. That's right. We are now also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. All very exciting. Links to those platforms are available in the show notes and on our blog at recouncil.com. Be sure to follow Trek on social media. We are at The Real Estate Council on Facebook and at Trek Dallas on Instagram and Twitter. Finally, head on over to recouncil.com and get your tickets for our January 24th Bank of Texas Speaker Series now at a new location. We will be at the Renaissance Dallas Hotel's Grand Ballroom Salon located at 2222 North Stemmons Freeway right here in Dallas. Come watch Christopher Leinberger present his walk-up, wake-up study on urban walkability here in DFW. The study is modeled after cities like New York and Washington, D.C., and focuses on the economic and social impacts of North Texas walkability and building a more walkable DFW. Again, go to recouncil.com for tickets. Before we get to our conversation with Kevin, here's a word from today's sponsor, Boca Powell. I'm John Orfield, I'm a principal at Boca Powell. We've done multiple flight training facilities, most notably for Southwest Airlines and United Airlines. And I come from a Houston background, and so we all wanted to be astronauts before we wanted to become architects. When you get in these facilities, they're absolutely amazing, but you really feel a part of that effort to get people in the air and make sure that the airways are safe for us, but also it's just about the dreams of humans to fly. Boca Powell is moving people and companies forward. To learn more, visit bocapowell.com. Big thanks once again to our sponsor, Boca Powell. Now, here's Kevin Felt right here on TrekCast. So why is Dallas the right city to test a lot of these futuristic technologies, things like the Hyperloop and Vertiport? I mean, why not test in cities with, you know, a a bigger foundation for their infrastructure? A city like New York that has, you know, the buses, the taxis, the subway, all, all of those kinds of things. There is some advantages to doing it in a city such as New York, which would have a lot more uh, connectivity maybe to other modes of transportation. But I think the one thing that really excites the developers of this technology about Dallas is it's newer. The, the street infrastructure is a little bit bigger, whereas in New York you have it kind of squeezed into a certain right of way and there's a, everything's packed in. I think we have a lot more flexibility with our infrastructure as it exists today. Um, things like the Hyperloop, though, I think would be more um, in kind with the distance between Dallas and Fort Worth happens to be a really good distance for what they want to do for a test project. Um, and as far as the Vertiport goes, you've got a lot of newer buildings that are flat roofed maybe, 
um, a lot more building going on so you could add to the system a lot more easily than possibly in a, an older eastern city or something like that. So what have been some of the roadblocks in creating a realistic long-term transportation plan for Dallas? I mean, we're talking about some pretty futuristic things, a lot, a lot of things that you know you can really only conceptualize at this point. I mean, I don't have a, yeah. a, a real basis for comparison in traveling from Dallas to Austin in 19 minutes or, or what have you. Correct. And, you know, in some areas I drive along the highways, we have roadways that aren't even, even finished. So, so what have been those challenges in, in sort of overcoming um, our current uh, transportation system to create these, these, new, um, these new systems? One of the, the, one of the bigger challenges is that we are so big and that there are so many things that are going on. And like you mentioned a moment ago, the, the test projects, the vertiports and the heliports and the, uh, the Ubers and the Lyfts and the autonomous vehicles and uh, Drive AI that's going on in Frisco and uh, the VIA system, which is a brand new way of looking at public transportation in Arlington, the Hyperloop, high-speed rail. So many things want to happen here because we are so big and because there are so many things happening, it becomes a challenge to try to understand how everything gets integrated together and becomes a complete system, a mobility system. Um, one of the other things that, that really become challenging for us is the way we anticipate or forecast future demand. Um, for many, many years, we've had the automobile and we've had buses and we've had light rail and we've had passenger trains basically like any other city. I mean, New York and Boston, their subway systems go back to the late 19th century, for instance. Um, but there hasn't been a whole lot of change in the way we get around since we discarded the horse and buggy as the primary mode of transportation. Well, what we're seeing now is it's not just one new mode of transportation, the automobile, it's several new modes. And it's not even the modes, it's the technology that is allowing us to utilize what we have in a much more efficient manner. That being said, we really don't have a good way of predicting. Your idea of what the impacts might be to all these autonomous vehicles might be different than my uh, perception of what the impact might be. So trying to develop a scenario that's realistic, that can be defensible, because we're going to have to defend whatever uh, decisions that we come up with, because we've got a board of 44 people that are going to be scrutinizing the things that we do. So we need to come up with a reasonable forecast of what the impacts of all this new technology is going to be. We also need to come up with a reasonable expectation of how we can integrate all these technologies together. That's the biggest challenge, and no one has the crystal ball. Um, everyone has an opinion. What opinion is the most correct one? I don't know. So that's, our, I guess, our biggest challenge, that and the fact that we're just so large and so many things going on at one time. Sure. So how closely are the companies that are producing these kinds of technologies, how closely are the, the Vertiport uh, developing companies and the Hyperloop developing companies, how closely are they working together? I mean, are they working together? I don't believe the Vertiport and the Hyperloop type um, folks are working together because there's such different technologies and have different um, uh, markets that they would be trying to serve. Um, what I do believe, though, is the, the Hyperloop folks are really in tune with the public transportation side of things. 
they want to provide this long distance fast service much like you would on an airplane. So what have we done here in Dallas-Fort Worth recently? We've had two rail connections access Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. We have a rail connection that accesses the Love Field Airport. So what the Hyperloop people are doing is that in the high-speed rail and also the, the high-speed rail and Hyperloop are not coordinating together per se because they're sort of competing in a, in a sense. Same markets, same kind of service, fast passenger service. But what they are doing is they're coordinating with the other modes that they would use as their connectivity modes. The, the light rail transit, the buses, the, the scooters, the, the, the street cars, all the other types of modes and automobiles in general. But they're coordinating with all those so that much like you would at an airport, how do you get people to your station to your airport being a station, let's say. How do you get people there so that they can been, then be transported by your system somewhere more efficiently? Right, and I think that really gets to the heart of, of what I was looking to ask you. I mean, it just seems like you have all these different modes of transportation coming in, but you know they still have to service a full city in, in sort of not the same way, but at, at the same time. Um, so a as these new systems are tested, what is the barometer for, for scaling them? I mean, what is our threshold for success when we, when we think about these things? Well, it depends on whether it's a private sector or a public sector um, initiative. For instance, the, the private sector initiative, the high-speed rail project from Dallas to Houston, their barometer is going to be profitability. They want to go into business and, and build this system to make a profit. Um, same with the Hyperloop. Right now, they're just building a system or want to build a system so that they can have a proof of concept. They want to be able to prove that their technology is so radical and so different. It's almost like the Wright brothers um, at Kitty Hawk, you know, trying to prove that this thing can fly. They want to prove that this system is going to be viable and it's not going to be um, um, hazardous to the passengers and those kinds of things. So there's a different barometer for those two things. As a public agency, if we were to implement either one of those two, our barometer would be trying to um, offer choices. And by offering, just having the system in place is we are offering a choice. We are offering a choice for the passenger that doesn't like to fly, that doesn't want to hassle with driving to the airport and parking and taking another shuttle to the, the terminal and going through security and all those kind of things. So there's a market out there, we believe, that they're will be enough passengers or enough customers to service something if we were to do this as a public agency. So the barometers are different for different um, um, implementation mechanisms, if you will. Have you guys at all tested the waters for public acceptance of these new kinds of technologies? The Hyperloop technology, for instance, um, the public test has been mostly through the Regional Transportation Council, who seem very excited about this technology, and through the newspaper articles that we read and seem to get favorable reviews from the readers of the uh, publications. The other is the, the high-speed rail technology has gone through a very extensive public involvement process based on the National Environmental Policy Act uh, Environmental Impact Statement effort that had to be done. So there was a lot of public, um, uh, a lot of public meetings, a lot of public input gathering. Um, 
Inside the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it's been very positive. Inside the Houston metropolitan area, it's been very positive. Between the Dallas and Houston metropolitan areas, not so much. There's a, there's a perception that the, the project will divide properties and it will divide communities and it will provide a barrier to, to access in a lot of places. Uh, whether that's true or not, I personally don't know because I haven't seen the exact plans and the exact uh, mitigation efforts that the, the, the folks have gone through. But I would say that all of the, anything technological seems to be very positive in the public's mind. Um, these autonomous vehicles seem to be very highly thought of. When we have these um, drive AI tests here in the Arlington area, there's always a line of people trying to see what it's like to drive in a, a ride, I should say, in an autonomous vehicle. Anytime you think about um, using your smartphone to access Via or your smartphone to access Uber or Lyft, people seem to be excited because there's a, an ease of use for instance, rather than trying to dial a number t to get another service or something. So I think that the overall, the public, at least in the urban area, is extremely excited about all of the various options that are becoming available soon. What kind of pressure is on for these new technologies or these emerging technologies and emerging modes of transportation to succeed? I, I mean, what, what do we do if, you know, these these plans aren't viable? Well, if they're not viable, we already have systems in place that, that replicate what they're trying to do. For instance, there's hourly or sub-hourly flights that leave from Love Field and go to, to Houston, for instance. There's uh, hourly or a little more than hourly maybe flights that go to Austin. There's already a TRE rail service connecting Dallas and Fort Worth. There's already um, uh, taxi service and Ubers and Lyfts and all kinds of other things that are currently in place that would take the, the, uh, the, um, the, the Uber Lyft or the, the personal heliport kind of uh, mode of transportation. If, if these don't make it, I think we're still okay. We still got a lot of other options and a lot of other things that we're trying to do on the ground technologically, you know, traffic signal retimings and um, how do we hail vehicles? Do we hail them with our phones or do we, like in New York City, you stand on the street corner and you raise your arm, for instance. Um, I think there's enough there already that if these don't succeed, we're still okay. What I think the pressure is, is more on the safety side for these things. Many, many of your listeners may realize or may remember the um, incident that happened in Phoenix a few months ago where the person crossing the street very late at night and without street lights and not at an intersection, unfortunately was, was hit by a vehicle and passed away. Um, how can not only the autonomous vehicles, but how can uh, Hyperloop and high-speed rail and how can these, all these systems be safe for the traveling public? Um, I know the high-speed rail system that's being contemplated has an unmatched safety record in Japan over 60 years with not one fatal accident. So there's, there's that going for it. Hyperloop, brand new. Don't know if it's going to be a problem or not or safe or not or, or whatever. But we'd like to believe that they will be. I think those are the, those are the challenges that are going to be more um, um, the, 
challenges that need to be overcome are more on the safety side. Um, the cost side will work itself out, but I think that's, that's more of a thing. It's usually not long after a new technology is introduced that we begin talking about the potentially unanticipated disruption of other industries. With transportation, and I'm, I'm certainly no expert myself, but I'd imagine those industries are things like city planning and, and the construction that goes into building our infrastructure, uh, commercial real estate with the kinds of buildings that we produce and, and parking facilities. Could Dallas be in a position with all these different things developing at once? I mean, could we be in a position to grow too fast? I mean, I know we tend to talk about that in terms of you know, the influx of people moving here, and I'm certainly one of them having, having come here a few years ago. Um, are, are we equipped as a city or, or even a region, rather, to, to adapt to this widespread implementation? I think we are. Um, I would probably couch it more like we've grown too fast already, knowing that it takes us, on a, on a quick day, it'll take us 10 years to get a project from the time we dream it up to the time we get passengers using it. On an average one, it's probably more like 15 years and one that is challenged by environmental issues or funding um, availability or something like that might take 20 years or more. I mean, we had been planning the, the Chisholm Trail Parkway south of Fort Worth for 25 years, I believe, before it was finally open to traffic. Um, a lot of the light rail system that was planned back in 1987 when the, the DART referendum went through is just now being built 40 years later. So. There is a lot of um, um, growth that we've had. We're growing a million people every decade, if not more by now. So I think the, the, the unintended consequences are, goes back to what I said in a, few, a few minutes ago regarding we just don't know. You know who knew that when the, in the 1960s when the interstate building um, phenomena happened, that by putting um, um, Interstate 345 in the, on the east side of Dallas was going to cause such a, um, a problem with the land uses on both sides of it. Who knew that by building all these wonderful freeways, not just in Dallas, but in other cities across the country, that it would cause such a divide and they would want to be torn down someday. I mean, we never contemplated that. Um, Rochester, New York, I just I read something the other day about it where they've got an inner loop around their downtown area and they built a six-lane freeway that in recent years had just a couple thousand cars a day on it. So it wasn't warranted anymore, but who knew that back then? Who knew that, and then it divided the city, so now they've gotta kind of fill it back in and, and make it more pedestrian and, and um, um, neighborhood friendly, if you will. So I think there's an awful lot of, and anything you do, there's always an unintended consequence somewhere. So it's up to us, again, going back to how do we forecast for these unknowns. Those are some of the unknowns we're going to have to kind of wrestle with as we begin to promote and foster the ability to use these new systems. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Boca Powell, for sponsoring today's episode of TrekCast. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media at The Real Estate Council on Facebook and at Trek Dallas on Twitter and Instagram. Join us on January 24th at the Renaissance Dallas Hotel for our first Bank of Texas Speaker Series of the Year. Tickets are available now at recouncil.com. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. 
Thanks for listening.